Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. I like that dumpy dum. Really reminds me of the of the late eighties. How about you, Warbis? Because you were big in the in well, you're still big now. Well, you're not overweight. Oh God! <laughs> this is dumpy dum the show about the reality talking drama centered at Ambridge <laughs> in the heart of Midlands. I am the short shining a light on the profit margin that is Royfield Brown, and with me I have the lowered umbrella that is Kerry Warbis, and we are joined by the shelves made of dead wood, who is Peter Fickling. And the last part of this week's bland business jargon, folks, is you. Now, this week's Dumpy Dum is from Francesca Word Salad. And I was trying to just say that, you know, I was a bit of a raver in my day, well, a bit of a DJ and all sorts. And it did not take me back to my hands being up in the air when they were on the cross mixer and, and all of that. And uh, that's kind of your era to not that you passed it. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. I, li- I have. I'm a broad church, though. I like all sorts of music. But yeah, that's a great effort by Francesca. And she can just play everything. Uh, that one. She's mm. very clever. Very clever indeed. Now, Kerry, uh, yes. somebody else. Do you have to be as musically as talented as Francesca to do a dumpy dum, or can they just like just bang one out on their kazoo or just sing any old shite? Basically, <laughs> how does it work? Uh, well, if you would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us on 0203 031 3105, leave us a message on SpeakPipe or send a text message starting with DUM to 077 862 00690. 
Thanks to our new social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices, and to Lucy V. Freeman. Now, um, I just have to say we have a new social media roundupper today, and it's Suey. So uh, big ups to you, Suey. And I just have to say quickly, Cosmo gave me a proper kick in on his uh, podcast roundup because, as he rightly pointed out, there's me making excuses or giving reasons as the reason why uh, the production team behind the Archers have had a little bit of a problem. But I'd completely forgotten that they had three weeks off of, of repeats when I was talking about production flow because he did not know what he's talking about and why he doesn't just like don the mantle of podcast host here, considering he knows everything about the Archers. Heaven only knows. Anyway, on <laughs> this week's episode, we hear abuse from General Store from W10. Uh, Jack, me old pal, me old mucker, with a spoon over in the upper lower east west side, Brian. Forget where Brian's from. Andrew Horn, stalwart of the podcast. Vicky Cole, oh my Vicky Cole from Sri Lanka. Jane, get where Jane's from too. Helen, uh, she's from somewhere too. And Rob. And uh, But there you go, folks. Uh, we've got a bumper show of Corner Inners. But That just uh, said Helen and Rob. It made me go a bit peculiar. Oh, the last. Yes, yes. Yeah. Good spot. <laughs> they're not together are they <laughs> uh on this podcast they are but i don't think they're in real life uh but first it's a hot topic of the week and this week's burning issue of the week is Lay off the Grundies. Break tell, what the hell did they all do in a previous life for them to be so damned in this? Ooh. Now, Pete Ficklin, you uh, nominated this week's topic. So, shoot, sir, go for it. You go first. Well, it was Kerry, but um, I... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I think that was... Uh, sorry. Um... Oh, was, sorry, it, was it Kerry? Yeah. All right, then. Stand down, Pete. Kerry. Yeah. You nominated this week's hot topic. It's obviously something which is burning a burning a floor <laughs> in your psyche as the reason why the, uh, the Grundies so get the wrong end of the stick when it comes to all things that happen in Ambridge. So, hmm. Yeah, well, part of me wanted to pick a topic where we're rooting for someone again. We rooted for Joy last week. And uh, that was a good thing. Uh, I'm sure we're going to cover other topics, obviously, that have come up this week. But the, the standout really is here we go with Emma, who seems to be facing some sort of doom linked to her job, poor love. And throughout the whole week, she was, you know, being a bit of a trier, saying how she likes to feel useful. She's doing her very best in every way. And it's likely she's about to get um, made redundant by the sounds of it, or at least put on furlough. I think it's going to be worse than that, isn't it? And so, yeah, it just occurred to me, why do they always get the uh, rough end of the stick? Uh, Pete, why is that? You know, the Buddhist in me says that, you know, they did do something terrible in, in a previous life. But I, I suppose the scriptwriters are a little bit more sophisticated than that in terms of looking at the reasons why nothing good ever happens to the Grundies. I can't imagine what they possibly could have done in previous lives to justify the terrible treatment. You know, after the topic was suggested, I was trying to rationalise, you know, the Grundy's place in the Archers. You know, realistically, if you're trying to play out various real world plot lines, they, they are, the, you know, the working class family in the village. They don't have the most money. 
any sort of um, sort of societal fluctuations like recession or kind of joblessness or sort of uh, farming communities sort of related work shortages that's going to affect them the most just because that's how it affects the real world but you know bring in another working class family just do just pick on someone else and i actually uh, was thinking if i did sort of say about uh, you know emma being slammed unfairly and therefore the brundies that royfield you would then say oh but there is balance the posh girl alice she's going through a tough time as well um so th- this is how bad my life is now i've got an inner voice here, uh <laughs> talking to me around the top but why why does it always have to be them or why you know what could they could they not i get the horribins they, they could perhaps be the downtrodden working class family for a bit you know i don't know but is it to do with the fact that most of us are so fond of the grundies so from a script writing perspective and a dramatic perspective, it keeps us on our toes and, and keeps us engaged. It's even so, it's still overkill, or it feels like it. Yeah, it? I, I'm past that. I completely. I think it's a really valid point, but I'm, I'm just, I'm sick of. I really want them to have a good time. And yeah. um, remember, uh, if if Emma is sacked, the only way they can bring this back is if. If that expresses itself in some kind of she becomes like the, you know, the self-made woman and takes over the village and has some, you know, like some business that hires loads of people. And after she's eventually outed Natasha as the person who got her sacked and they've kind of like fallen out and then made up again, Natasha has to work for her. And, you know, some kind of glorious future for Emma might make me forgive them. But, yeah, I, I've just I've had enough of the Grundies taking a kicking. I mean, they yeah. lost Steph Balm. I mean, but Royce, mm. I was going to ask you, 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 you're more experienced. What was um, Eddie like as a young man? I mean... I wasn't there for when he lost his farm, basically. Well, the Grundies always were a bit, what's the word I'm searching for? They, they were never bad but they were always were absolutely cutting corners. No one ever quite trusted them in the village. You know, you kind of patted them on the head and said, there, 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 Grundies. But you never gave Eddie or Joe a, a proper serious job to do. There always would be contractors, but they were just bad farmers. They were written as bad farmers, always cutting corners. The truth of the matter is, was they never had the capital mm. to be able to really invest in their farm. And that's the reason why it slowly but surely went downhill. And that's the reason why they were always cutting corners. But William and Ed are not at all written in the same way that Eddie was back in the day. Eddie and his pomp in the 80s, hanging around with, with Fat Paul, etc., uh, and the 90s, you know, they're completely not a chip off the old block. You know, William is incredibly conservative and, and straight and does everything mm. the right way. And then Ed, whether you like him or not, is a grafter. You know, he does try and occasionally cut the odd corner, but he's a grafter and wants to keep his nose clean. So they are written in a very different way. But yeah, it was always the fact that the Grundies never had the money to invest in their farm, hence all their different schemes in the Grundy world of Christmas, mm-hmm. whatever uh, nonsense you can you can think or you can remember. Off the top of your head, can you think of what, what's the, the best thing that's happened to them? Well, going back to the farm, and, and, and the, I think the writers deliberately did that. So, so we could actually say something good does happen to them. And I think we've all just about worked out that by hook or by crook, Oliver is never going to kick them out, yeah. is he? You yeah. know, he's always going to find a way to keep them on. And Oliver has taken Ed underneath his wing, though we haven't heard much of that in the last couple of years. But Oliver is does have his eye out for Ed. And I'm guessing that in Oliver's will, though Oliver does have a daughter in New York, yeah. that farm is going to be left to Ed. That, that's my but, guess. Okay. So the, so the best thing we can think of is that they weren't made homeless. 
they live in the pocket of landed gentry you know they're a sort yeah. of pet sorry I, I, I mean i actually said i was going to quit the archers this week i was really quite angry you might remember and i, I use some language that's certainly not safe for dumby dum part of it was just how necessary it was we had the bridge farm inheriting well not inheriting getting that large chunk of cash from selling their land to justin there's been during the the, the, the lockdown there was um Helen crowing about how successful, you know, how she couldn't make enough cheese to fill the uh, the organic food boxes they were sending out. They're just such nimbies. When Pat managed to turn Alison Stedman into a bad actress for a few weeks, uh, <laughs> with that awful plotline of her going to help her, what's her name again, Moirag or something, or um, anyway. But yeah. you know, this is this is their opportunity to actually do some charity or look after some people on their doorstep. And they, well, I can't use the word I was about to use. They screw up at the first, you know, the first um, mm. hurdle. I was just thinking, or even like you say, um, Peter, to make Emma be doing something well on her own, of her own volition, rather than that they get some sort of, I don't know, handout or charitable gesture from the village or anything like that. Just that they're doing it for themselves would be good. You know, a, a Grundy success is something that falls off the back of a lorry. It's a favour that's done to them down at the yeah. market. It's an extra shift on someone else's land. It's never something that they own, something that they can kind of control and be proud of, truly, truly proud of. And and also they're not stupid people. So it's not like, you know, if it was me and you and Royfield in the village, quite right we should be at the bottom and constantly having to toil <laughs> and uh, serve and do all that stuff because, you know, we're, we're, we're simple creatures. But, you know, these are fine, fine folk and they deserve to, you know, be, be judged by their merits mm. and not by the, you know, the, the meagre handouts of everyone else. But, but isn't Emma in this regard? And the Grundys in a wider regard, just uh, an avatar for various social inequalities, societal inequalities, i.e. the lack of affordable housing in Britain for slash countryside. And then it goes on and on and on, doesn't it? The lack of opportunities for, for, for young adults, etc. That's what the Grundys are there for. They might have started off as being the slightly ne'er-do-well Sorry to get all political, Royfield, but I don't think anyone in Britain needs uh, the archers to educate them about inequality and about the uh, you know failure of various governments to look after the, the poor. Peter, Peter, uh, I, I, beg, I beg to differ. And I think the people at the academic archers, of which uh, one Claire Asprey has written papers on housing, would also beg to differ. And I, I, I must admit, bubble? being... I'm totally in my urban bubble. I, I know next to nothing about the countryside. The only thing I know about the countryside, and I say this with all seriousness, is fundamentally really from the archers. It really is. And the archers has educated me on not only sepsis, not only coercive control, but also on the lack of rural housing. I just thought this was an urban phenomenon. But yes, Emma, again, she's salt of the earth in terms of fundamentally just wanting if there is such a thing as a British dream, the British dream. And she works three jobs and she lives in a caravan. She's not unique in this at all. Uh, you can tell I'm quite emotional about this, which is not normally how I am about the artists. I'm normally because of like joking around. I'm actually quite sort of involved in this. You know, Adam had his leg shattered and was kind of pulled from under a turned over Land Rover. My pulse didn't change. You know, <laughs> I just made a note of it, tick onto the next scene and carried on. 
you know, Emma's job was slightly threatened while she merrily made some scones and my blood was boiling. We just care about them deeply. They're well-written, well-rounded characters who we've grown to love enormously and are just getting, and regardless of the realism of it, are just getting a bit bored. And actually, you know, their resilience is superb, isn't it? And yeah. how they are as a, as a little unit. Yes, they sort of have their fights and what have you. But when you think about the, the other families in, the, in Ambridge and how much they bicker with each other, they're less so, aren't they, the Grundies, despite mm. everything? Yeah. And, yeah, another little bit of, you know, a ray of sunshine is exactly, just to, to you know, to embellish your point, is that Ed and Emma broke up and got back together. Mm. You know, we, the listeners, knew that Emma was um, slightly losing it with mm. her schemes to try and hold on to her dream of the flat you know, as reasonable as they actually were, but her ways of uh, trying to hold on to that dream that was awful. pressure on, you know, it was bad, exactly. And she said it yeah. last week, she recognised that. And that Ed was then forced into minor criminality to keep that dream alive. And he just couldn't cope with the pressure. But they still loved each other. And they had a period apart. And us, the listeners, were just rooting for them to get back together. And you know what? They have. So it's not all incredibly doom and gloom. They always have to rise back from the kicking they've been given. I think that's the, yeah, the different yeah. perspective we feel. Mm. True that. But you know what, though, uh, folks, if we're not careful, and I say this at the uh, roundabout at this point um, every week, this <laughs> podcast will be five hours long. So I'll do a little bit of this. Hello, Ambridge 3962. And go on to General Store. It's in my old stomping ground in Notting Hill. Hi, Royfield, Kerry, Pete, and all dum dummers worldwide. It's General Store here calling from the hot and sunny W10. Um, I've just been out in my garden for harvesting my first decent crop of tomatoes, so I'm very happy. I hope everyone is good and well. I haven't called for a couple of months because I really didn't have anything positive to say about the COVID version of the Archers. And we all need positivity during this time. Suffice it to say, I hate the monologues for, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> but primarily, it changes the very nature of the programme. And most human beings in a monologues are tedious, to say the least. And the Archer's characters are no exception. Anyway, as I got caught up in yet another of Boris's last-minute changes while I was in the air flying to visit my brother in Catalonia, I am forced to self-isolate for 14 days on my return. I am very much not a fan of our present disastrous Brexit government. I'm sure you guess that anyway. Um, rant is over. I have to thank you, Roy Field, for keeping me on the straight and narrow. I bet nobody's ever said that to you before. Uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for Dumdy Dum, I would have given up listening to the present version of our beloved docu-soap. And the only reason I'm still listening is so that I can enjoy the chat orchestrated by you, Roy Field. So thank you, thank you. The last three weeks, uh, you haven't been quite as playful as you normally are. Do you think 
it's the pandemic has had an influence. Um, this isn't a criticism, it's just an observation. Um, this week, they started with a dialogue between Fallon and Emma. My heart lifted because I thought we were going back to the old form only to have my hopes dashed with a return to the monologues and the hideous, spoilt, self-entitled Alish. The only thing is I can say is divorce her, Chris, swiftly. <laughs> Lots of love from W10. All of you take care. Bye. Ooh, General Store packed an awful lot in there. <laughs> yeah, my, my only takeaway was Royfield has lost his playfulness. Yeah. Well, there was a I lot of thank my... yous to Royfield, which obviously, yeah. you know, he deserves. And then a bit of concern for sort of like a, a loss of playfulness. So I just wanted to check in on Royfield, make sure that he's okay. Mm. I, I, I'm totally fine. I, I think, and the truth be known, and I'll, I'll say this to mm. you, and I don't know if it's going to make the edit, depends on what mood I'm in, but I'll say it again. With, uh, like, Kerry's funnier than me, Peter's cleverer than me, so I'm just letting them shine. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. If it comes over that I'm not as playful as normal, it's because I'm giving them room to breathe for the listeners, really, because I've been doing this for some six plus years. So I know I'm a little bit quieter than normal, but there's, uh, I think there's good reason. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's turned my spiteful teasing back on me. That's awful. Play <laughs> with, with us. <laughs> I liked that he'd harvested tomatoes and that made him very happy. If if General Store isn't on the uh, Flick app, he should be, because uh, one of the lovely things about the Flick app in the last week has been the virtual flower and produce show, which has been going on there. Mr. Substances has got a very, it's going to sound like a really terrible double entendre, but I don't mean to be, he has got a really big marrow on there. He just has, it's massive. <laughs> uh, and some of the produce on there isn't quite as spectacular as that, but it's rather lovely. So if mm. you want to show off your tomatoes at a general store, uh, download the Flick app and uh, get yourself on there, geese. What a good idea. Would would Emma approve of this virtual flower and produce show, do you think? Well, yes, she's a, all over technology. Um, she That was that was the core of her uh, criticism of Fallon's ideas. There was that uh, Fallon was, too, was relying far too much on you know, multiple broadband connections. Uh, and maybe, actually, that was a clever little subliminal message from the writers to the listeners. Mm -hmm. that, hey, you know, don't be a Fallon, be an Emma. Keep it yeah. simple. Enjoy a predictable product. And um, General Store reckons that Chris should divorce hideous Alish immediately. <laughs> it's it's absolutely bizarre how how little he's picking up on um, with Alice. But I, I have I have a feeling that Alice will be getting a significant going over at some point later on in the podcast. Yeah. I don't want to be you know typical Royfield, which is always try and at least attempt some level of balance or to put a contrary view just because, but. If I was listening to The Archers last week, and I think I was, Chris is beginning to be aware of Alice's drinking. And he was talking about the fact that he likes to go to work without a fuzzy head, yeah. et cetera. And, he's had a, and he has had a go at Alice about, about her drinking. Hence, she's hiding in a shed. Oh, yeah, slightly, slightly. But it's it's just taken a long, long time. And it's not to the level that it needs to be yet. I'm sure it will get there. Yeah, uh, and he's been framing it. He's been framing it within his selfish needs, and I'm using selfish in a very sort of, uh, you know, broad sense. So I don't mean he's a selfish mm -hmm. human being, but he's, he's only looking at it from the effect it has on his work. His the fact that he's drinking with Alice. Yeah, but he did. He did buy it when she said, "Oh, it's tonic water." 
Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, the whole Alice drinking thing is um is is doing my head in. It's it's hugely implausible the way that it's written. Um, and I I I do, yeah. I've got a lot of issues with it. In what way is it implausible? I was talking to Kerry about this the other day. Um, I hmm. don't. I, you know, people have different people have. Was different, that in one of the conversations that I wasn't invited? One of our one of our very professional preparatory conversations, Royfield. It's funny um, that the only ethnic minority on the podcast is not allowed into yeah, these. Yeah, we're, we're, we're prepared. Just racist. saying. I mean, you know, <laughs> we've hired two very prepared racists for the podcast. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so, um, uh, well, oh, yeah, so um, I was trying to talk sincerely about drinking there, Royfield. I've, I've always felt like um, there are two types of people in this in, when it comes to drinking. People who believe that somehow booze has a personality and that when you drink, you sort of get a boozy personality. So it's, it's the kind of thing, the next morning, it wasn't me, it was the booze, you know. Uh, and then there's people who accept the truth that the booze just strips away your inhibitions and reveals some mm. of your faults and they come bubbling to the surface. So one of the problems I've had with the way that Alice has, Alice has been written is that even though she's always been entitled, a little bit spoiled, I always felt like she was fundamentally a sort of decent person. And drunk Alice, or sort of um, concerned about, not or sort of uh, uh, um, drinking Alice, is a really venal and selfish, mean-spirited person. And that sort of, that seems like a big jump from where we were before. And, and also the other thing is, is that um, and as someone who has drunk, not, not in an Alice way, but drunk to a point where they've had to take a big, hard look at themselves and take a step back. You know, I've mentioned before, I'm on a booze holiday. When I've been drinking too much, I'm not in denial about it. When I see the empties, I don't create some kind of like fantasy that it's like, oh, that was just like some crazy fun party. No, you had too many beers at the pub and you bought a bottle of wine on the way home and drank it on your own watching um, Rocky Four, which you've seen 10 times before. I don't believe this kind of like fantasy that she's um, she's creating for herself, that it's just well, life's one big party and that Chris is a party. But, but Peter, I, I know, I don't know an awful lot about alcoholism. But what I do know is that the steps that Alice seems to be going through are pretty standard, even down to drinking vodka because it doesn't leave uh, that smell of alcohol on your breath. And she did like that. Water, yeah, exactly. She did that this week, the drinking in isolation, but also saying that you can still control it. Now, these are all pretty standard steps, really. So I think it's a bit harsh to say that you don't believe it. I think you're putting too much of fiddling in this uh, as opposed to how people descend into alcoholism. I was just going to say every every person has their different angle, different story, different way of doing it, different experience and so on. But she's 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 as yet not said at any point or hinted at any point that she's got any self-awareness of it being any problem. And this is a, at the point at which she's discovered a shed that she's going to happily sit in so she can pretend to her husband that um, they are not drinking during the week, knowing obviously that she is, and hiding bottles and all of that. I, I, I completely take Royfield's point that, um, you know, there's different experiences for um, different heavy drinkers and alcoholism is not a sort of, you know, uh, um, a homogenous experience, you know, the same for everyone. From my experiences with uh, uh, maybe flirting, you know, with alcoholism, but going, going in that direction, certainly having to take a look at myself, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't recognise any of that. And, you know, and I've, I've known some substance abusers. I don't remember that level of denial. I felt like, you know, I, I felt like they always knew the mistakes they were making. I can't remember. I think I included this in on a previous edit of a show a few weeks ago that, that we did. But 
I went to a woman, women's halfway house and I interviewed, this was years ago, about and interviewed this deputy head who was a functioning alcoholic. Literally everything that Alice said, she did. So it seems to me like the scriptwriters have almost gone by a play-by-play book of somebody who descends into alcoholism, but is a professional. And because they are a professional, they have so many different ways of hiding it. And so even their loved ones don't don't realise. But this deputy head teacher said she told her partner two or three times he wasn't drinking, was drinking behind his back, or drank vodka deliberately so it didn't leave a smell on on her breath. And then yeah. and also the fact that she used uh, work dues as a way of legitimizing her drinking even more alcohol. You know, it's Friday after work, we've had a long, hard week, you know, this is all part of, of the job, etc. Yeah. But what was going on in her mind? And the that's what I'm thinking is, you know, in her mind, she was probably thinking, yeah, I'll do that, I'll hide that, I'll do that. But perhaps actually having a word with herself about knowing that it's reaching a bit of a critical point. Whereas um, the monologues were a perfect opportunity, really, it may still come, don't know, um, for Alice to have that word with herself and have a little bit of a sort of, oh, what am I doing kind of But, but isn't, that, isn't that one of the, the delicious things about the monologues is that sometimes they speak to truth and sometimes they speak to self-delusion and sometimes people are just blind. And she honestly believes that she can have a drink but she doesn't have a problem. We know... And, and I think we can start to put two and two together and probably realise the reason why she was pushed out of her last job was because of her performance, mm. because of drink, yeah. right? Well, but, she, yeah. but, but she's managing to, to hide it just about from everybody. But Yeah, she mentioned uh, that, didn't she? She said, you know, yeah. at Bryce Bauman, it was, uh, what did she say? Fake, fake it, it till you make it. it. And uh, even when you haven't showered and, you know, you march into the office and stuff. And perhaps, you know, there was a hint of Brian, wasn't there, sort of going, oh, I deserve this. And having a slug of mm. whatever it was, whiskey, I presume, don't know. Mm. Um, you know, her being brought up in that environment where, you know, that's what you do, isn't it? You know, at the end of a day, you have one of those to celebrate you've had a good day or, um, and she had had quite a good day and immediately thought, I'll celebrate with my mates. <laughs> like you can't do that every time you have a half decent day really, can you? Um, and I, I, I do take a Royfield's point, but I, I think there's probably a happy, there's probably a happy compromise where we sort of, maybe we, we acknowledge that she's on the the the, the, the cliche journey to alcoholism, but, mm. but maybe they are laying it on a little bit too thick with the denial. And Chris mm. is probably in a form of denial too. Yes, and and also and also perhaps he is the functioning functioning alcoholic, and she's the alcoholic. You know, that's the and that could be in that could be an interesting mm. uh, um, plot development where you know Chris actually discovers that he has he's discovering he's the functional alcoholic. By you know, he only realizes that when he sees what you know the, the full expression of alcoholism is mm. the you know um, the majestic um, sort of drinking palace at the end of the garden. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I, I think that uh, was a, a somewhat imperial sweep because I don't use the word majestic. A royal sweep <laughs> of Alice, Chris, and uh, their problems with the demon drink. Uh, now it's Jack. Hello to the Dumpty Dum community. It's Jack here. We finally have some dialogue, and I'm only too pleased. 
Now, I'm very excited about this, not for just the current situation and it bringing the program to life, um, but I'm very excited for the future because I know that the scriptwriters, editor, and producers are restricted by how difficult it is for all the different actors to get to the studios in Birmingham. So providing that the acoustics are correct, it could mean that in the future, when people can't get there, they could remotely connect in and take part in the scenes, therefore having more actors available for more scenes. It would have been great to have heard the accident that uh, Adam had with the Land Rover. Um, had to wait for a couple of scenes, uh, but uh, it was a good bit of uh, activity to, to include. Now, Joy Horville, talking about the previous week, well, the accent, the the voice, and the content of what Joy comes out with makes for a fantastic character, as was discussed. It was great to have many scenes last week with Brian, and um, I've never heard Brian mention his sister before. In fact, we very, very rarely hear about any of Brian's family, so it'd be nice to hear a little bit more about Brian's past, actually, as he's such a key character. As I was flicking through as well some of the uh, scenes last week, of course, Emma had plenty of scenes, and if you've heard Emerald speak, which of course you have on Dumpty Dum with the first day on set, um, you would not know until you've heard Emerald speak that uh, Emma's voice and accent is actually put on, and she's so real the way that she speaks. It is very, very impressive. I'd like to say uh, thank you and obviously a farewell to Millie and Yogel Bear, um, but hopefully you'll be calling into the podcast. It'd be interesting to know how to also contact you, Roy, as well, um, off of the podcast. Okay, I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. Yay, the return of the Jack. <laughs> the return of the Jack. Of the Jack. Yeah, dialogue, very pleased, excited for the future. I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point, isn't it? That even when lockdown and the restrictions on recording are passed, please let that happen, uh, that actually certain actors will not necessarily need to go to studio. Well, definitely if, he's right. if uh, the actor, actor that plays Peggy is uh, lives in Spain. Exactly. You know, and yeah. she's 101. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing she needs to be doing is uh, mm. jumping on a plane. If she can uh, do this from the, the comfort of her retirement home, all the better. And he's a fan of Joy with her voice and so on. Yeah, Brian's sister, had you registered that he had a sister called Liz that he fell out with over a restaurant booking years ago? Uh, absolutely not. That, that, <laughs> I've no. never heard any mention of Brian's mm. wider, wider family. I quite like that they fell out over something so trivial. That's That sort of sounded about right. You're um, perhaps Britain's biggest um, Brian fan, Kerry, maybe the world's. <laughs> Um, how do you think you would have got on with a sort of strident, argumentative young Brian who would sort of kick off because you'd, you know, I don't know, ordered off menu or something or, or, or picked a white wine with, um, you know, steak or something? I don't think he would do that. Actually. So? No. Young Brian? No, I don't think he would be such an ass. Like he wouldn't care what colour the wine was, I don't think. Uh, but I, I take your point. Yeah, I was trying to. I was trying to channel the pettiness. What's the? I was trying to yeah. do this petty thing to do as a restaurant. 
the thing is, I know he's an ass, uh, but character-wise, voice-wise, acting-wise, brilliant. I love it when he appears. Yeah, he's treated people quite poorly at times. Mm. That is true. But as a character, I adore him. Jack, uh, email me at royfield at gmail.com. Super simple, R-O-I for India, F-I-E-L-D at uh, gmail.com. That's one of the gifts your parents have done you with your name, isn't it? That you get to have all these super cool email addresses. Because <laughs> you, must, you must be, what, how many Royfields worldwide? Last time I checked, there were none. Where, where does Royfield, your name, come from? How is that created? Uh, you know, this is a story I've told on many a first oh, date. But, but, but here <laughs> goes. Here, here, here goes. So my father's full name is Glenroy Garfield Glasspole Brown. So Glenroy's first name, Garfield the Cat, second name. Glasspole was a governor of Jamaica when he was born. Brown, well, you can word that one out. When he was a little, little boy, he said to himself, when I grow up, my son's name is going to be the end of my first two names, Glenroy Garfield, Roy Field. Uh, yeah, when nice. he met my ma and uh, they were with child, with me, my dad says, well, if he's a boy, the name's already sorted. My mum had no say in the matter. And the thing is, when I was a little kid, I hated Roy Field when I was at school and whatever, mm. because kids don't want to stand out. You don't, yeah. they don't want weird and wonderful names. And it was only when I became uh, more aware, uh, when I went on enough to art school, <laughs> that I went, oh my goodness, this Royfield thing's actually quite great. And uh, so yeah. all my family call me Roy because as a kid I said, don't call me Royfield. However, if you met me from the age of 18 on when I went mm. to art school, um, I'm Royfield. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. I, didn't, you, I didn't know your dad would sound like Dudley Moore either. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I was actually yeah, well, thinking of a drug dealer from uh, Witherland Live, but yeah. Peter. What, what <laughs> <you>? <laughs> no, I'm not accusing your dad of being a drug dealer. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Whatever. Up and over Peter's side. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dum Towers and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. I was catching up with Royfield's excellent chat with Sonny Ormond. Lillian is one of my favorite Ambridge residents, but I wouldn't call her bulletproof as Royfield did. She's flawed and makes mistakes, which makes me cringe, but we root for her to fix them, which she usually does. I like what Sonny said and what she does with Lillian. She brings out her vulnerability. Also, as Sonny noted, Lillian searches for eternal youth, which we're all a little bit guilty of, but not to the extent of Lillian. And that brings us to her niece, Alice. Last time I spoke of some genetic and biological factors related to her alcohol abuse. This week, we heard her being bullied by her father into taking this position at the farm. Alice acquiesced and decided it was the best thing for her. Was it? It does give her some structure and stability, but it's not what Alice really wants to do, and so she knocks back another few. Alice really isn't meant for the farm or for staying in Ambridge at least at this time in her life, similar to Lillian leaving the village for several years. But what does that mean for Alice and Chris? In the end, will theirs be a starter marriage, much to the disappointment of Susan? Time and the script writers will tell. Oh, bring this back to Lillian. It does remind me of the character Elaine Stritch played in Company, and end with some lyrics from Stephen Sondheim's The Ladies Who Lunch. 
And here's to the girls who just watch, aren't they the best? When they get depressed, it's a bottle of scotch, plus a little jest. Another chance to disapprove, another brilliant zinger, another reason not to move, another vodka stinger. Ah, I'll drink to that. Talk to you soon. Oh, thanks, Witherspoon, for calling in with your wise words. Uh, it's interesting, though, because you said about Alice being bullied by her father into helping with the farm. I said the exact opposite <laughs> to yeah. Peter, didn't I, when we were talking in the week? I was like saying to Peter how good it was that Brian has sussed she needs to be doing something. And obviously, you know, if there's a gap there and it's a family affair and Adam's going to be about out for a shortish amount of time, isn't it? Why wouldn't you get a capable family member to step in when they're not employed elsewhere? The, the bit that was bullying was he is basically taking silence as a yes and actually she's doing it anyway. Yeah, he did. But I, I think he knows that she needs to be doing something. I actually did think he's knows her and thinks if she if she's not got something to do she'll just drift for a while we heard your daughter being capable and sensitive and intelligent last week and i think you know as was um discussed and you but your your kids aren't that much younger than alice i mean um, that you're at that phase now aren't you where sort of like heavy parenting is f infrequent and sort of probably quite reluctant but you'd still you'd still step in though wouldn't you i mean it's not they're not yeah yeah definitely i mean they're 20 and 23 so yeah I, I get what he means, but he texted, didn't he? You know, there's actually, and I think that was because he, she had actually avoided dealing with it. So it's like, well, I'll take your silences. Yes, then. Again, it's probably another point where she's avoiding stuff, isn't she? Just why didn't she ring him and say, actually, no, I don't want to do it because I've got X, Y, Z happening. She why didn't not? say that, Kerry, because she doesn't have X and Y and Z happening. Well, and and I think Brian knows she ha she needs this to do. Mm. That's the, mm. I might be wrong. Yeah, that, that's the bit that did I do think rings true about the description of of the alcoholism is where you will convince your you'll start to create conditions under which you will transform your life. For instance, mm. um, I'm talking to my podcasting microphone that I bought four years ago and has been sitting in boxes and collecting dust, and. Mm. I was going to do the podcast as soon as I'd done the research, read the book that I bought, um, uh, done all these different things. And of course, it never happened until eventually Royfield just said, oh, do you want to do one on Monday? And then I did it. He brined <laughs> me. He just was like, no, we'll see you on Monday and you're doing it. I was yeah. like, oh, OK, you're right. And I, I, so you're uh, saying that I bullied you, Peter? I think it's more corralled someone, you know, when you corral <laughs> yes. someone. I think Brian did that. He sees that if he, if she doesn't get this opportunity to make herself useful, then she'll just waste a lot of time. You know, obviously, you have to respect uh, Witherspoon's um, mm -hmm. professional opinion. Of but course. I would be curious. I would be curious as to what he, what does he nuance it, nuance that for the fact that it's a parent. So I mean, now I've got a, a kid who's fifteen months old. You've got kids who are twenty and twenty three, and. Mm. You know, there's a sort of a, a continuum between those two points where you're gradually releasing control and gradually giving giving agency to the child, mm. and and that's a that's an incredibly difficult balancing act. Um, you know, uh, it, over short term or over long term, and so I think you know maybe parents get given a it's maybe it's not bullying. Maybe, I felt that's maybe too strong yeah. a word yeah. um, for a parent. You know, someone uh, else definitely. I, yeah. I think Peter, that analogy is is brilliant. You know, the whole parent thing, because remember, this is a family farm as well. 
So exactly. not only yeah, not only do you have the parent-child relationship, but then it's a family-owned and run mm. business. So yeah. So uh, step but, up and help. Step absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, just very quickly, you pair. Uh, we're already at an hour, and Excellent. Uh, we still, so. <laughs> Well, you, you can, well, you excellent can, for you, Pear, but I have to edit this thing down. You can, why, cut, you can what, cut what, out my three-minute breakdown that I had while I tried to what, remember when, where things were in episodes. Would the world <laughs> stop spinning if it was two hours? You know, um, I think they'd love yeah. it. I used to think so. If we have negative comments at all about this, it's too bloody long. And I also well, have you know, had that recently, though. I, oh, I remember I remember commenting on it a long time ago. There you, there you go. But there yeah, go. it but it didn't have us on it. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm in, in that. What's that film? Inception. It's like, oh, <laughs> what, what, you know, how and when and yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, crack on, Royfield. You're wasting time. Hello, all. It's Brian. <laughs> I've been while since I rung in. I was going to say how energetic oh, yeah. and perky last week's Dum De Dum was, but then I realised I'd been listening to it at one and a half speed, so that explained <laughs> that. Um, no, it was good. It was good. Okay. When I heard that Adam got run over by his own Land Rover, my reaction was to laugh. Does that make me a bad person? I feel not, but... No. I think um, that was only so um, we can get Alice in the office so she can be found under the table one day there by someone. So that's probably what that was all about. Um this week's episode, I think, was the best one of all since they went to the new format. They seem to have got, got actual dialogue. That was good. And they do seem to have got the hang of how to do this now. That is really great. I really enjoyed this week's. Lastly, I just want to say how much I hate the Bridge Farm lot. They are got bang on about being ethical farmers and all the rest of it. But as soon as someone crosses them in business, they're like the bloody Sopranos. I would say... <laughs> that Fallon has got stitched up like a kipper by Natasha and Helen behind it. And um, so it's back to the chicken guts for Emma, which she need, they need a break, poor Grundies. Um, but there we go. Keep up the good work. Nice to talk to you. Okay, thanks then. Bye. Oh, that's Brian Holding, isn't it? I, I love him. I adore him. I could just yeah. everything he said, yes, 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 a thousand times, yeah. yes. Even when he's yeah. extraordinary ill on Adam, you're like, oh, what a lovely man. <laughs> I know. What a gentle and lovely man. It's true. He's got a wicked sense of humour and this really, really lovely, cheeky smile. I love him. And he thought we were perky because he'd heard us at the wrong speed. Uh, dialogue, hallelujah. I did say about um, Bridge Farm being uh, Yimbies, yeah. not Yimbies. Yeah, and I'm glad that someone else picked up on it because that, that was, once I realised it, I was like, that's absolutely horrific. Let's say let's say it was Linda and Robert. Um, you'd yeah. be surprised. You'd be surprised if they didn't hold, you know, help someone out. But you would sort mm. of trust that you would trust that they were doing it because they, they, you know, the the bed and breakfast wasn't making as much money. They were they had some expensive physiotherapy or something. Like you, you would sort of start to, to yeah. create a, a backstory for why they can't afford it. You a hundred percent know Bridge Farm can afford it, and also are the most yeah. self-advertised do-gooders in the world. They can't shut up about how amazing oh, and, uh, and uh, wonderful they are. Yeah, hateful. Correct, Brian. And now I feel bad because I didn't do it the Brian style, sort of, like, with a, sort of uh, a, a wry smile and the kind of like creases around my eyes. I can already see his little crease. Yeah, creases yeah. Creases <laughs> a lifetime smiling. You're so right. You know what? I tell you who else is right. 
well, about a lot of things to do with the archers, is Andrew Horn. Greetings, Earthlings. Andrew Horn here. Uh, I noticed the rather crude script writing comparison this week between Alice's regular I deserve this uh, drink and Brian's I deserve this drink at the end of the uh, long day on the combine. Um, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm sure lots of other people will. I also understand why Fallon uh, isn't wanting to share with Emma at the moment. She feels it's her responsibility as the manager and the owner of the business to find a way out. I think with a small team like that, it's probably unrealistic and that actually Emma has proven that she's got good ideas and that Fallon would take her into her confidence. But I'll do at least where it's know where it's coming from. As for No Kasha and her business bullshit, um, pardon my French, um, <laughs> fundamentally, apart from the fact that she hasn't really proved herself, um, as far as we know, uh, she has no interest in saving Fallon's business. Uh, she talked about the need uh, for her to find a local office so that she didn't have to travel over to her current one unless she was going off to see the trees um, or the uh, the warehouse um, in fact, in time, they could probably relocate the warehouse and chilling operation onto um, Bridge Farm. But certainly in the short term, she needs an office and a space. Um, and where better than the tea room? I'll leave that with you as my little plot prediction. Now I'm off to a barbecue. Enjoy the summer and stay safe. Bye. Oh, Andrew Horn. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea, isn't it? There had to be some reason why Nakasha is being... Um quite so what's the word you know when you do altruistic it's not altruism is it she probably does want something herself she also gave um fallon a piece of advice that is just absolute nonsense i was about to use um what was it she said she said oh there's no room for sentiment or there's no room for softness or something in business Mm -hmm. and and she claims to be this cutting edge and business person. I think um, modern thinking is, and also the recession is the recession and the um, coronavirus is proving that these more emotional ties and emotional intelligence are very, very useful tools for running a business yeah. and actually are quite good drivers. I mean, Kerry, you manage a lot of yeah. people. I had a glimpse into that the other day. And I mean, what percentage of your managerial skills is just understanding people's personalities, balancing personality types? I mean, it's a huge mm-hmm. amount, I assume. Oh, it's, it is huge. I, I once said in an interview that, you know, they said, well, you know, what do you want for your team? And I said, I want them all to be happy rather than, you know, number one in the group of teams that are in the department. I didn't say that. I just want my people to be happy because I know if they're happy, they'll perform really well. And that is the case, definitely. So you do hugely need to tune in with how people tick, what motivates them, uh, look after them from a sort of pastoral care point of view, duty of care and everything. So I'm the world's greatest people leader. <laughs> Best manager in the world. She could do a lot worse than going to Emma, um, um, as mentioned earlier, and, and just saying, look, this is the situation. How do you think we can deal with it? And Emma yeah. Emma would be desperate to hang on to the job. Absolutely desperate. Mm. I mean, Andrew was speaking with a sort of a, a polite and certain authority. I mean, do we know roughly what his background is, what he sort of does? Andrew sounds like, you know, he's got a house that's appeared on Grand Designs and his desk is sort of made out of a kind of a, a Second World War <laughs> airplane's wing or something, you know. It all, everything's everything's well, like brushed glass and polished down. Well, 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 yeah. well, Peter, when you have over 30 years' experience in print, 
and have split this between <laughs> manufacturing and outsourcing and probably can afford such a place. So <laughs> Andrew has, um, has been at the sharp end of business uh, for, for, for quite some time. And yes, yeah, so he knows of what he speaks of. And he's big in the uh, world of greeting cards and print uh, for large uh, companies and organizations. Yeah. And he's done things like uh, factory reorganizations and, uh, and all sorts. So, yeah, all that BL board stuff. Basically, that's Andrew, but it's not uh, land. It's uh, cards and print. Love a bit of context. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's Andrew Horn. Oh, now it's my Vicky over in Sri Lanka. Hello, everybody. This is Vicky in Sri Lanka. I hope everyone is well. Uh, Adam's accident. Please, 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 everybody be careful about handbrakes. I had a friend in Kenya who was killed in exactly this situation. Um, So these accidents really do happen. Please be careful. Uh, This has been a much, much better week, hasn't it, with the dialogue. Um, Felt almost like getting back to normal at times. So thank you for that. Very exciting. I found the mirroring between Alice's drinking and Brian's drinking and their attitudes quite chilling, actually, where he's, they're using the same words. Um, and mm. Brian's there, ho, 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 all fruity. I deserve a nice whiskey at the end of the day. Um, and it's not a problem. And yet we can see Alice is really spiraling completely out of control. And this is, this is great. I have a, a plot prediction, which I really hope won't come true, which is that I think the drinking will make Alice careless about contraception. She will get pregnant, possibly after she and Chris have had a big falling out. I don't know. That might be announced after they'd fallen out. Uh, and I hope so much we're not going to have a fetal alcohol syndrome story. That would be very, very sad. Um, otherwise, I think that's it. I hope I'm in time to make the recording. I almost sent an email instead of calling in to have the pleasure of hearing Kerry reading it out with her beautiful voice. But I thought mm. I might not get there in time with an email. Anyway, lots of love to everybody. Take care. Bye. Oh, lovely Vicky Cole. Uh, how, how wonderfully complimentary you are. <laughs> You can write as well as ring in if you would like to. Uh, Yeah, you're right about the chilling um, parallels between Alice and um, Brian's drinking, which we've mentioned already. Brian's functioning, isn't he, as we've talked about, and Alice is bordering on a crash. As Brian's spokesperson, Kerry, do you think that he (laughs) has the the potential introspection to be able to look at the example he set or the, yes. perhaps the genetic package that he's passed on. Yeah, I do. Yeah. When he sees Alice, when she does crash, I think he may well do so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope yeah. so. Awesome. So that's uh, Vicky Cole just about dealt with. Uh, now it's Jane as we enter the back straight of the corner. In Jane from Shepherd's Bush calling. I'm three quarters of the way through my journey to Ambridge 2010 where poor Jolene, heartbroken and defeated by Sid's death, is considering leaving the ball. Fallon seems to have a coterie of young admirers, including Reese, Harry and the lovelorn Jazza. Kathy and Kenton's relationship breakdown is really quite painful to listen to. And I would really not like Kathy to return to Ambridge anytime soon. However, this was a golden era filled with affairs and broken hearts. We really need a return to this type of vibrancy. Maybe Chris will need a shoulder to cry on while Alice battles with her drink issue, which is bound to unravel in coming weeks. 
this surely could be a fertile ground for an affair. Or maybe Jolene could entice Neil or Eddie into an illicit tryst. Here's hoping for a juicy plot line on the horizon. Meanwhile, if anyone can let me know where I can listen to the episodes where David and Ruth respectively cheat, I would be extremely grateful. <laughs> oh, Jane, that's hilarious. And as soon as you said, uh, maybe Chris should have a shoulder to cry on, who do you think I thought of? Uh, Hannah? No. Jacob. Joy. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I mean either, either of your two suggestions is cracking as well, really. But No, I mean, I just... Because Joy... I mean, we're, we're all massive Joy fans, but I haven't got a sense of what she looks like. And obviously, each mm. of us has a different, a different one of these for each character. But Joy is still this kind of sort of amorphous sort of like blob creature in my head. She hasn't become like, I can't tell you what she looks like. I don't know what the colour of her hair is or whether she's slim. Or I imagine her a bit of... like Jane McDonald, you know, the lovely woman yes. who's... Uh, on, from Wakefield, yeah, very, very good. Very good. On well cruise done. ships, yeah. I see yeah, her as a brunette. Fine, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, that, absolutely. So I'll take that. So, and then Chris, Chris, you guys were explaining to me the other day that he's this kind of sinewy hunk. So yeah, yeah so more cushion for the pushing um, for Chris when he goes around <laughs> Joy's house to help her mend a dishwasher or something. Hello, everyone. It's Helen from Rotherham here. Um, I'm ringing in on Thursday morning, and I say that because I have a plot prediction. And just in case it comes true in tonight's episode, I want to be able to lord it over everyone in true Royfield fashion. So here goes. I realise that the Grundy curse is probably too strong strong to let this actually come true, but I can dream. And this is my dream plot prediction right now. I predict that Fallon will think three things. Firstly, she'll be thinking that she needs to be more like Harrison and keep on being nice. Secondly, she'll realise that she can't run the tea room on her own and spend time with a baby that I think she probably wants to have. Thirdly, I think she'll realise that her and Harrison are in a better place than Emma and Ed, especially with Harrison's recent promotion. So I predict that Fallon is going to realise and uh, decide to step back from running the tea room and hand it over to Emma. And I think Emma would do a grand job of it. She's itching to get her teeth into something, whether that be the veg patch or the fruit and produce, fruit and produce, fruit and produce produce show you know what I mean um, <laughs> and I think actually she'd be great at getting her teeth stuck into making the tea room a viable business again and I think she'd work hard at it because she's very hard working and I think it'd be great so like I said the Grundy curse might scupper all of that or it might just come true and I really hope it comes true because they've had enough bad luck and it's gone beyond a joke now we need we need something good to happen to them because I like them all right hope you have a great week bye Helen from Rotherham, that is bloody brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Please, that solves all of what we've been talking about. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to, that's that's my version of events until I'm told otherwise. Yeah. That's what I'm holding in my head. I so hope that happens. And it makes sense because if, if and uh, there was lots of talk about Fallon being pregnant, if she is mm. pregnant, it's definitely, um, she can't afford her own maternity leave. But she can afford to keep the business going with Emma there. So it was actually practically yeah. good sense as well. Yes. Please listen to this, script writers, if you haven't thought of it already. Because <laughs> I think that would keep a lot of people really happy. And it would be really interesting to see how Emma fares. And if they do do that, and it was already planned, then fair play for playing with us and, and using the curse of the Grundies as a, a clever 
um, device yeah. like, you know, to push us in one direction, sell us a dummy. Hi there, Royfield, Carrie, Peter, and everybody in Dumpty Dum land. Uh, Rob Williams again, slowly getting used to hearing myself, but still not really liking it. Um, I was just wondering, who decides on the nicknames? Most of the caller inners have quirky and amusing nicknames. Did they pick their own, or did one of you lot bestow them as an honorific? I mean, there's Witherspoon, Yokel Bear, Millie Bell, Welsh Witch. They're just a few that I can think of off the top of my head. All clever and jolly, which makes me think they're self-chosen. Because every nickname that I've been given has been things like Bonehead or Ham-Fisted Gap. Anyway, oh. also, I must admit, I did love the demonstration of your in-podcast sound effects. However, it was a yes. bit disconcerting by your leaving the farmyard animals on during the uh, Barry White track. <laughs> My wife gave me a very strange look when she walked in <laughs> partway through that. Well, take care, everybody. I hope this is not too short, not too long, but just about right. Bye-bye. Yeah, yo. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Rob Williams again. I did that last one, which I've sent off now. Uh, while I was listening to it, turned it back on, and I am absolutely thrilled to be Millie Bell's last uh, Facebook commenter. It's been great listening to her. Uh, I'm going to miss her and uh, Yokel Bear so much. But, oh, I feel I've got all fanboy, so I'm going to have to stop now before making a total fool of myself. Good luck with everything, and I hope that you're going to be uh, appearing as a more eloquent caller in than I'm managing, but please keep in touch. Good luck. Well, the love machine made a couple of, you know, good points there. And first of all, you know, there's the, one of the suggestions that a lot of people have said, which is that Millie Bell should should switch to being a caller in And also, who does make up the, the nicknames? They're Twitter handles, I think, aren't they, Royfield? Uh, yeah, like no are. one's... Yeah, the, the only... One that I can think of is bestowed on you, Warburton, Auntie Kerry. <laughs> That's come about somewhat organically, but I'm just Royfield. Pete, you're just Pete. Yeah, yeah. but the so, but the caller inners and their funny names. They're they're their Twitter handles, aren't they? Yeah, pretty, exactly. Pretty much. Yeah, we've not bestowed those upon, or Dumpty Dum hasn't bestowed them no. upon them. I don't think. Well, and I'd be curious Rob... to know, yeah, how he how he feels about the one I've given him. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's very befitting. <laughs> but the animals and Barry White thing was hilarious, Royfield. Thank you. I, I, I know we asked for it, but I didn't know we'd get it. And I, well, re- listen, I very much... Asked, all right, go. There you go. <laughs> so it, it's, at this point, I normally say, Warburton, Auntie Hi. Kerry, do Hi. we have any emails? We do. We only have the two. So we have got one. Oh, it's a very long one, actually, one of them, from Jenny March. She says, hi, Royfield. I hope you don't mind con- me contacting you, but I just wanted to thank you so much for organising the Dumpty Dum Zooms on a Friday in recent months. I finally managed to watch live via Zoom for the Tim Bentick one, and it was so great to be part of. Apart from anything else, <clears throat> the time I spend listening to the Archers and Dumpty Dum is very selfish all about me time. And that evening I managed to arrange with my husband to put the children to bed himself and I enjoyed the next couple of hours indulging in what I love. 
It was completely wonderful. And again, last night, although I missed most of it, in fact, the whole of Sonny Ormond's appearance when I finally had finished my dull domestic tasks after the children were in bed, I was surprised to see that your Zoom was still going. And I watched the last half hour via Facebook. Honestly, complete bliss. Listening to both The Archers and Dumpty Dum makes me feel such comfort at a time of such uncertainty. I just had to express my sincere gratitude to you for all your hard work. So thank you so much, Royfield. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of somewhat blushing because I've had quite a few uh, kind of like big ups in, in, in this episode. Yeah. Are you writing them yourself, love? Uh, no. <laughs> I think you've realised that, you know, I can't write. And that's quite a well-constructed, uh, if oh. not somewhat fulsome with praise, uh, no. flowery uh, e- email. So yeah. that, that wasn't me. All right. So uh, just very quickly on, on the Zoom thing, mm. I sent an email to Sean, who is in the, the Archer's press office, asking if we can get uh, Barry Beramond, who plays Ed uh, Emerald, who mm. plays Emma and Ben Norris, who plays Ben Archer, if we can kind of uh, get them so we can do uh, a Friday Zoom. And also Hugh Kinnear-Jones, who's, you know, the big I am down there at the Archers, because I think it'd be really good for us to be able to ask a few questions to him about the decisions that were made you know, on the run-up to uh, the monologues and stuff. Fingers crossed, everybody, that we're not going to do them every week like we did halfway through the Coronas, but maybe uh, do one a month uh, with somebody uh, suitably important from the Archers. Um, However, if you are a Patreon member, you will get the Zoom link if you're a Patreon member. And if you're not, you'll be able to watch along on either Facebook or YouTube. But the Patreons will be able uh, to have a front row seat and will be able to ask questions to the great and the good who are part of the Archers. So that's like a key membership benefit of being a Patreon, uh, giving us the, the, those $2 per episode. That sounds cracking. Mm-hmm. Right. So you best sign up for Patreon then, Warburton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> are you bullying or corralling at this point in time? <laughs> Have we got another email you said? We do, we do. We have a, uh, oh, this is an interesting one. Yes, I hope you have the answer prepared. Uh, So she says, who is it that is writing? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, Lorna, Lorna, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, She says, can you please tell me what orchestra played Waltzing Matilda at the end of Dumpty Dum 340? I really liked it. Thank you. It was lovely. I didn't find out the name of the orchestra but it was put together, Lorna, by Jeff Knorr, and it's actually the piece of music used on the game Civilization. I think it's Civilization 4, and I found it on the YouTubes. So if you type in Walsh and Matilda, Jeff Knorr, spelt K-N-O-R-R, then maybe go and Google him. The, the vibe that I got, Lorna, was that he isn't a conductor of an orchestra, but he's somebody who puts together music specifically for for games and stuff the hairs on the back of your neck do kind of like stand up and i thought it'd be really fitting for, for our millie to have a rousing aussie send-off yeah. for all of her hard work so, <laughs> so that's that and that's the end of the emails remember folks you can uh, send us a text message and that number will come to you again at the end of the show if you can't be fussed to get your laptop out and uh, you know properly type out uh, an email or 
if you can be fussed, you can go on to dumdydum.com and then hit contact us and then type out a properly long email to us. And Kerry will read it out because she's good at stuff like that. I'm not so good at reading stuff out because I'm rubbish like that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. But now is the moment you all be waiting for. It's our new one of our social media roundup supremo type people. It's Suey. Well, hello, lovely people. I am Sue, or Suey, I don't mind which. Uh, I'm Queen Otar on the Twitters and on the Flick Chat. I'm in stupidly hot South London, uh, and you may get to hear the crows and the magpies shouting at each other outside in the garden. They've been very noisy all afternoon. I am supremely honoured to be taking the first shift of the new Dumpty Dum social media roundup, um, and we all need to say thank you again to Millie Bell and to Yokel Bear for all their service. The new guard, I can assure you, have washed their hands for the prerequisite 20 seconds and they've donned their personal protective equipment for you. And we'll be doing our very best to take over from them. So the first thing to report this week is that we've had some more actual dialogue. As Cassie Grant said, the phone call between Alice and Chris was a lot better. And Sarah K.O. Nguyen, I hope I pronounced that correctly, was surprised they didn't use this more during the monologue period. On Academic Archers, there was lots of agreement with this and that some of them work much better than others. So talking of Alice, my, she seems to have gone from gently ambling 
downhill into alcoholism to frankly be rushing downwards right now. Like father, like daughter. Oh, Brian, you're such a poor role model. Marion Barton said it was such hard work to listen to her and she's in complete denial. Fiona Siobhan Powell added that she was lucky to skip the gene and she has never met an addict who isn't completely self-centred whilst in the throes of the disease. Matthew Penny added to that that the monologue works brilliantly for this situation as Alice is justifying everything to herself. I felt sorry for poor Chris with the lovely meal he'd cooked only to be thrown over for hmm, working on the rotor and to have, having a nice sandwich. And what about squashed Adam? Sean Brown said that they thought it was the most engaging Adam had been without saying a single line. There's a lovely table Claire Asprey shared on academic archers showing how the class system works and I think we can apply some of this to the Aldridge's situation. In our clearly unbiased poll, 62 people at the time of recording against zero thought that no casher should shove off or that Fallon should stick to her principles Absolutely no one wanted her to fall back on plastics, even to keep the business afloat. Emma Fadlan, oh, really had to read that name carefully because I thought it was a hybrid of our tea room ladies, shared, what planet is Helen on? What kind of a consultant spends no time with a business, then tells the owner what they should and shouldn't do? And says, I'm fed up with how appalling all the Archer's female entrepreneurs are portrayed. I completely agree with you on that. It'd be great to see some real competence, um, other than clearly Linda at the guest house. Does that count as entrepreneurship? Natasha also managed to win the Worst Character of the Week award, thanks to the voters of Upstairs at the Bull, snatching it from Alice. I voted for both of them. I couldn't decide which was the worst. Michael Laurie on Archers Addicts, so I apologise, on Academic Archers, compared Emma, Fallon and Natasha to the two Ronnie's class sketch. Oh, that did make me laugh. We were very sad about this week about the Pardew to Triptych being shut down as Valerie Bayliss said it was lovely for the older listeners and we loved Graham Seed's voice. I would listen to him frankly recite the telephone directory. Back at the Dum De Dum new page, Karen Ridley shared a link to her research on lockdown and the monologues. So please go and fill it in either using the new Dum De Dum Facebook group or you can get to it through Academic Archers as well. Let's have a look at the Flick app, which we're going to be shouting out in the new regime from now on. There was a poll on who you want back, and our favourite Aldridge, well, my favourite Aldridge at least, is wanted back from Hungary, our Debbie, followed by the Tuckers, which could have been helped by Ian Roy Tucker's Zoom call. Wish I could say my dad was Davros. Maybe he should get the T-shirt and go to sci-fi conventions. There's rather a lot of crossover with the Archers, let me tell you. Also in the flick was a lovely chat about the online flower and produce show with some great pics being shared. There were baby aubergines from Cheryl, avocados from Alison. Drew gave us a lot of tomatoes. Phoebe gave us onions. And eggstones gave us a pretty looking testicle shaped thing. I have no idea what that was. And then Dusty Substances shared with us some great pictures of Mr Substances and his marrow and cabbage. And I'm sure they would rival Joe and Bert's offering. Anyway, that's the roundup for this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. And our shouts out to the other Archers group. I've got a reminder for you to get involved with the new Dumpty Dum group. Tell us what you think. We really want to know and to share what you're talking about. So bye for now. Thank you for that, Suey. Oof. You know what? Yeah, you, you popped your sherry there. And I think she did awfully well. What, how do you reckon she did? Warburton. 
Fantastic. Welcome aboard. Uh, how about you, Pete? Well, um, everything unlocks sort of coherent and to the point. So brilliant. Yeah. And next week, well, this week, we have Lillian, who's taken up the cudgels, scouring the Archer's social media net for uh, great tidbits of things that you've been saying. So, Sui, uh, thank you uh, for doing the first week, but you can now stand down. You can uh, chill out and relax a little. But Lillian, stand to attention, and I know you're going to do us uh, a wonderful job. So, uh, Warburton, Auntie Kerry, uh, do we have any tweets of the last seven days? We do, we do. Um, so my first one is a very simple one from at Susan S.H. Harrison, whose Twitter handle is a hologram of Jesus. So she just she just put, and I liked this, Brian using the word mojo has brought me out in hives. <laughs> do you remember him doing that? <laughs> Was it right? Um, then this one is by Matthew, um, mm-hmm. who's at Mr. Weir. He says, hang on, a storyline about difficulties producing a show under lockdown. They're trolling us, surely. Uh, I was going to talk yes. about that, actually. Did you all get that? Chat? I didn't get that, but that that's, yes. Yeah, very, yeah. they were, weren't they? About uh, um, having to be a martyr to technology or something. That's the comment, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, and then going into people's <clears throat> homes. Oh my God, they really are. Yeah, they really were. I think yeah. an incredibly, I think an incredibly witty and astute member of the Dumpty Dum team might have mentioned that earlier on. Did you? Yes. Funny, <laughs> funny how Kerry and I weren't listening. <laughs> That's all right. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I honestly can't remember that. <laughs> um, so this is Alison, who's at Nozilla underscore sixty three. She says, on the plus side. If Adam's in the hospital, they might be able to treat his enlarged ennui. Mm. Yes, that's good. These are all rather clever, aren't they? Yeah. Is that okay? But you have to engage your brain a little. Yeah, you're a bright person, aren't you? Kerry's a funny She's not a trawler. She's not just flinging her net into Twitter and just like scraping up, you know, whatever she finds. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Cantona and, uh, yeah, uh, Yeah. references again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the trawler that's one of a callback yeah yeah bless him lovely man um at, this is andrew davidson andy d make the tea he says drink in the shed if you must alice but at least show some respect to your mother by calling it the summer house mm. no? uh, this one's a bit more base and it's the tweet of the week <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this is from rob titchener who is at Tichner R on Twitter. Mm. And it says, Adam, this is what Adam's saying. Brian, do you know the Land Rovers on my foot? No, Adam, you hum it. I'll drink this large glass of agreeable (laughs) whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) You see, that wasn't very intellectual, was it? It was good. It was good. Folks, um, if you want more goodness, go on to dumdydum.com. And I've got to say a very big thank you for Kate Broadhurst, who um, purchased, or at least he tried to purchase something from our store at the start of uh, the Coronas. And uh, just when everybody's kind of locking down, uh, she bought a hoodie and a T-shirt. At least that's what she spent her money on. And then after three or so months, um, 
the stuff just hadn't been delivered. I then tried to intercede and to try and get the stuff for her. Uh, but one thing and another, um, it just didn't come. So just last week, I actually refunded her the money. And I said, look, uh, Kate, because you've been so patient and so lovely, I will buy you uh, the hoodie and the T-shirt. And she said, no, Royfield, don't do that. You refunded the money. Uh, when uh, everything is properly up and working and the manufacturers know they can deliver, I'll purchase the stuff again because I want to support Dundee Dum. So um, thank you, Kate. And uh, I think we should say that this episode is dedicated to Kate Broadhurst, who's a wonderful human being and who just wants to support Dumpty Dum. And uh, you could have given me a right kick in uh, for not getting this stuff, but I think you understood. Um, you know, the whole world was being turned upside down and uh, delivery and supply systems kind of fell to the, the wayside, but you didn't moan and uh, you really do want to continue to support us. So thank you, Kate. But that's dumdydum.com. You can also go there and see some of the stuff that we've put up on the YouTubes. Uh, you can click on that and you can see the interview that we did with Sonny Ormond or with um, Annabelle Dale or with Tim Bending. And then if you want, if you do that, why don't you also then go onto the YouTube, hit the subscribe button. And then whenever we put up new content, uh, you'll be, uh, you'll know exactly what's gone up and when. And don't forget, folks, uh, if you become a Patreon from here on in, you get front row seats to the interviews that we're going to do on Zoom. And uh Patreons and also people who are who subscribe to us on PayPal because I always forget about you. And there are people who give us uh, recurring donations on PayPal that you'll get a front row seat to all of those Zoom chats. Remember, everyone, to get in contact, you can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on the website or call 0203 031 3105 to leave a message or send a text message starting with dumb to 077-862-00690. More texts, more emails. Yes, please, folks. Mm -hmm. uh, we all know, and it came up again, that Twitter is very close to uh, the founding myth of this podcast. You know, where do people get their names from? It's their Twitter handles. That's where all the funny names comes from. Uh, and you can find Yokel Bear who was once of this parish, but is never going to be forgotten, uh, on Twitter at Yokel Bear. You can find Kerry Warbis at... I don't have a funny name at all. <laughs> I'm really boring. <laughs> like the other three, other two of you, it's at Kerry Warbis, would you believe? Yep. Fickling, where can people find you on the Twitters? <laughs> Equally dull, Pete Fickling. <laughs> 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 and I can be found uh, quite precisely at Royfield. And if you want to follow us, uh, you can also follow the whole gang of us mm -hmm. at Dumpty Dum on the Twitters. Also, part of the origin story of this podcast is, is Facebook and the fact that before I even started Dumpty Dum, I did a, a tweet along meetup and I organized that through Facebook. Go on to Facebook, type in Dumpty Dum, you're going to find two Dumpty Dums. Now, the one that you need to sign up to is the group not the page. I think we're going to give the page another week and then we're going to switch it off. Uh, but all the fun is now happening on the Dum Dum group. So it's the one with the blue masthead, not the green one with the grass. That's the one you need to sign up to. And that's us. I think we're just about done. Big up to the Flick App posse. Um, <laughs> Flick App, you're saying, what is that, Royfield? It's a great little companion 
to the whole world of Dumpty Dum. And as I said in this uh, episode, there's a virtual flower and produce show which is going on at the moment. And also Drew from Tokyo is some kind of weird stalking savant because if you put a picture of just about anywhere on planet Earth, he will tell you where it is and give you the Google map. It's quite uncanny. So if you want to be weirded out by Drew from Tokyo's uh, weird stalker skills, or if you've got a big courgette, oh God, not again, I've done it. If you've got a big pair of, tom- oh God, if you've got like a sack of potatoes, which you've grown from your <laughs> garden, right, and you're really proud of them, <laughs> take a picture, download the Flick app, whack them on the virtual flower and produce show and see if you can outdo Mr. Dusty Substances because right here and now he's going to win first prize with, with the size of his, his things there. Because It's really hard, genuinely, to talk about large vegetables without it sounding like yeah. you're talking about something else. It's all a bit odd that it's about the size rather than the quality, isn't it? I do have a carrot growing tip. Grow them um, away from the ground. Grow them sort of on top of your garage because then carrot flies can't get them. Talking about insects with wings do you have any bee news for us peter the little boy is communing with the bees um he doesn't seem scared of them and i'm, I'm over the moon because uh yeah he, he that's it bee news child and bee as one so you still have lots of them around your lavender oh i mean yes sorry yeah actual bee news yes um there's, there's you can't move for them and the whole street is alive with bees Mm. Bit, uh, and it's, it's like um, it's all I see now is bees because obviously I'm a bee corner a part of my life now. <laughs> can you give us? Can you promise to give us a weekly update? Because I've been on the lookout for bees ever since uh, Bee Corner became a thing on the podcast, and I can honestly say I've had no meaningful interaction with any bees at all. Maybe they're allergic to line dancing and country music and bowling alley, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I think Birmingham has a, a statistical um, glut of. <laughs> Talking about gluts, or at least spending time outdoors for nine hours on a Saturday. Um, oh dear, oh dear, yeah. Mm, is this a time for, should we wind this podcast yeah, please do. Up now, and then we'll continue this off air. Yeah, go for it. Smashing. All right, then, folks, on that <laughs> tantalizing note, <laughs> we're going to wave goodbye to you. See you all again in seven days' time uh, for another rip roaring, barnstorming, blockbuster episode of Dumbly Dum, which is uh, giving you the inside track on the wonderful world that is Borsetshire. Toodaloo. Bye bye. Tarara bit. <laughs>